Chapter 11 of Moral Letters, Volume 2 by Seneca. Translated by Richard Gummier. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Letter 76 On Learning Wisdom in Old Age. You have been threatening me with your enmity if I do not keep you informed about all my daily actions. But see now upon what frank terms you and I live, for I shall confide even the following fact to your ears. I have been hearing the lectures of a philosopher. Four days have already passed since I have been attending his school and listening to the harangue, which begins at two o'clock. A fine time of life for that, you say. Yes, fine indeed. But what is more foolish than refusing to learn, simply because one has not been learning for a long time? What do you mean? Must I follow the fashion set by the fops and youngsters? But I am pretty well off if this is the only thing that discredits my declining years. Men of all ages are admitted to this classroom. You retort, do we grow old merely in order to tag after the youngsters? But if I, an old man, go to the theatre and am carried to the races and allow no duel in the arena to be fought to a finish without my presence, shall I blush to attend a philosopher's lecture? You should keep learning as long as you are ignorant, even to the end of your life, if there is anything in the proverb. And the proverb suits the present case as well as any. As long as you live, Keep learning how to live. For all that, there is also something which I can teach in that school. You ask, do you, what I can teach? That even an old man should keep learning. But I am ashamed of mankind as often as I enter the lecture hall. On my way to the house of Metronax, I am compelled to go, as you know, right past the Neapolitan theatre. The building is jammed. Men are deciding with tremendous zeal who is entitled to be called a good flute player. Even the Greek piper and the herald draw their crowds. But in the other place, where the question discussed is, what is a good man? And the lesson which we learn is, how to be a good man. Very few are in attendance. And the majority think that even these few are engaged in no good business. They have the name of being empty-headed idlers. I hope I may be blessed with that kind of mockery, for one should listen in an unruffled spirit to the railings of the ignorant. When one is marching toward the goal of honor, one should scorn, scorn itself. Proceed then, Lucilius, and hasten lest you yourself be compelled to learn in your old age, as is the case with me. Nay, you must hasten all the more, because for a long time you have not approached the subject, which is one that you can scarcely learn thoroughly when you are old. How much progress shall I make, you ask? Just as much as you try to make. Why do you wait? Wisdom comes haphazard to no man. Money will come of its own accord. Titles will be given to you. 
influence and authority will perhaps be thrust upon you but virtue will not fall upon you by chance neither is knowledge thereof to be won by light effort or small toil but toiling is worth while when one is about to win all goods at a single stroke for there is but a single good namely that which is honourable in all those other things of which the general opinion approves you will find no truth or certainty why it is however that there is but one good namely that which is honourable i shall now tell you inasmuch as you judge that in my earlier letter i did not carry the discussion far enough and think that this theory was commended to you rather than proved i shall also compress the remarks of other authors into narrow compass everything is estimated by the standard of its own good the wine is valued for its productiveness and the flavor of its wine the stag for his speed we ask with regard to beasts of burden how sturdy of back they are for their only use is to bear burdens if a dog is to find the trail of a wild beast keenness of scent is of first importance if to catch his quarry swiftness of foot if to attack and harry it courage in each thing that quality should be best for which the thing is brought into being and by which it is judged and what quality is best in man it is reason by virtue of reason he surpasses the animals and is surpassed only by the gods perfect reason is therefore the good peculiar to man all other qualities he shares in some degree with animals and plants man is strong so is the lion man is comely so is the peacock man is swift so is the horse i do not say that man is surpassed in all these qualities i am not seeking to find that which is greatest in him but that which is peculiarly his own man has body so also have trees man has the power to act and to move at will so have beasts and worms man has a voice but how much louder is the voice of the dog how much shriller that of the eagle how much deeper that of the bull how much sweeter and more melodious that of the nightingale what then is peculiar to man reason when this is right and has reached perfection man's felicity is complete hence if everything is praiseworthy and has arrived at the end intended by its nature when it has brought its peculiar good to perfection and if man's peculiar good is reason then if a man has brought his reason to perfection he is praiseworthy and has reached the end suited to his nature this perfect reason is called virtue and is likewise that which is honorable hence that in man is alone a good which alone belongs to man for we are not now seeking to discover what is a good but what good is man's and if there is no other attribute which belongs peculiarly to man except reason then reason will be his one peculiar good but a good that is worth all the rest put together
if any man is bad he will i suppose be regarded with disapproval if good i suppose he will be regarded with approval therefore that attribute of man whereby he is approved or disapproved is his chief and only good you do not doubt whether this is a good you merely doubt whether it is the sole good if a man possesses all other things such as health riches pedigree a crowded reception hall but is confessedly bad you will disapprove of him likewise if a man possesses none of the things which i have mentioned and lacks money or an escort of clients or rank and a line of grandfathers and great-grandfathers but is confessedly good you will approve of him hence this is man's one peculiar good and the possessor of it is to be praised even if he lacks other things but he who does not possess it though he possess everything else in abundance is condemned and rejected the same thing holds good regarding men as regarding things a ship is said to be good not when it is decorated with costly colors nor when its prow is covered with silver or gold or its figurehead embossed in ivory nor when it is laden with the imperial revenues or with the wealth of kings but when it is steady and staunch and taut with seams that keep out the water stout enough to endure the buffeting of the waves obedient to its helm swift and caring not for the winds you will speak of a sword as good not when its sword belt is of gold or its scabbard studded with gems but when its edge is fine for cutting and its point will pierce any armor take the carpenter's rule we do not ask how beautiful it is but how straight it is each thing is praised in regard to that attribute which is taken as its standard in regard to that which is its peculiar quality therefore in the case of man also it is not pertinent to the question to know how many acres he plows how much money he has out at interest how many callers attend his receptions how costly is the couch on which he lies how transparent are the cups from which he drinks but how good he is he is good however if his reason is well ordered and right and adapted to that which his nature has willed it is this that is called virtue this is what we mean by honorable it is man's unique good for since reason alone brings man to perfection reason alone when perfected makes man happy this moreover is man's only good the only means by which he is made happy we do indeed say that those things also are goods which are furthered and brought together by virtue that is all the works of virtue but virtue itself is for this reason the only good because there is no good without virtue if every good is in the soul then whatever strengthens uplifts and enlarges the soul is a good virtue however does make the soul stronger loftier and larger for all other things which arouse our desires depress the soul and weaken it 
and when we think that they are uplifting the soul, they are merely puffing it up and cheating it with much emptiness. Therefore, that alone is good, which will make the soul better. All the actions of life, taken as a whole, are controlled by the consideration of what is honorable or base. It is with reference to these two things that our reason is governed in doing or not doing a particular thing. I shall explain what I mean. A good man will do what he thinks it will be honorable for him to do, even if it involves toil. He will do it even if it involves harm to him. He will do it even if it involves peril. Again, he will not do that which will be base, even if it brings him money or pleasure or power. Nothing will deter him from that which is honorable, and nothing will tempt him into baseness. Therefore, if he is determined invariably to follow that which is honorable, invariably to avoid baseness, and in every act of his life to have regard for these two things, deeming nothing else good except that which is honorable, and nothing else bad except that which is base, if virtue alone is unperverted in him and by itself keeps its even course, then virtue is that man's only good. And nothing can thenceforth happen to it which may make it anything else than good. It has escaped all risk of change. Folly may creep upwards towards wisdom, but wisdom never slips back into folly. You may perhaps remember my saying that the things which have been generally desired and feared have been trampled down by many a man in moments of sudden passion. There have been found men who would place their hands in the flames, men whose smiles could not be stopped by the torturer, men who would shed not a tear at the funeral of their children, men who would meet death unflinchingly. It is love, for example, anger, lust, which have challenged dangers. If a momentary stubbornness can accomplish all this when roused by some goad that pricks the spirit, how much more can be accomplished by virtue, which does not act impulsively or suddenly, but uniformly and with the strength that is lasting? It follows that the things which are often scorned by the men who are moved with a sudden passion and are always scorned by the wise, are neither goods nor evils. Virtue itself is therefore the only good. She marches proudly between the two extremes of fortune, with great scorn for both. If, however, you accept the view that there is anything good besides that which is honorable, all the virtues will suffer for it will never be possible for any virtue to be won and held, if there is anything outside itself which virtue must take into consideration. If there is any such thing, then it is at variance with reason from which the virtues spring, and with truth also, which cannot exist without reason. Any opinion, however, which is at variance with truth, is wrong. A good man, you will admit, must have the highest sense of duty toward the gods. Hence, he will endure with an unruffled spirit whatever happens to him, 
for he will know that it has happened as a result of the divine law by which the whole creation moves this being so there will be for him one good and only one namely that which is honorable for one of its dictates is that we shall obey the gods and not blaze forth in anger at sudden misfortunes or deplore our lot but rather patiently accept fate and obey its commands if anything except the honorable is good we shall be hounded by greed for life and by greed for the things which provide life with its furnishings an intolerable state subject to no limits unstable the only good therefore is that which is honorable that which is subject to bounds i have declared that man's life would be more blessed than that of the gods if those things which the gods do not enjoy are goods such as money and offices of dignity there is this further consideration if only it is true that our souls when released from the body still abide a happier condition is in store for them than is theirs while they dwell in the body and yet if those things are goods which we make use of for our body's sake our souls will be worse off when set free and that is contrary to our belief to say that the soul is happier when it is cabined and confined than when it is free and has betaken itself to the universe i also said that if those things which dumb animals possess equally with man are goods then dumb animals also will lead a happy life which is of course impossible one must endure all things in defense of that which is honorable but this would not be necessary if there existed any other good besides that which is honorable although this question was discussed by me pretty extensively in a previous letter i have discussed it summarily and briefly run through the argument but an opinion of this kind will never seem true to you unless you exalt your mind and ask yourself whether at the call of duty you would be willing to die for your country and by the safety of all your fellow citizens at the price of your own whether you would offer your neck not only with patience but also with gladness if you would do this there is no other good in your eyes for you are giving up everything in order to acquire this good consider how great is the power of that which is honorable you will die for your country even at a moment's notice when you know that you ought to do so sometimes as a result of noble conduct one wins great joy even in a very short and fleeting space of time and though none of the fruits of a deed that has been done will accrue to the doer after he is dead and removed from the sphere of human affairs yet the mere contemplation of a deed that is to be done is a delight and the brave and upright man picturing to himself the gardens of his death gardens such as the freedom of his country and the deliverance of all those for whom he is paying out his life partakes of the greatest pleasure and enjoys the fruit of his own peril but that man also who is deprived of this joy 
the joy which is afforded by the contemplation of some last noble effort will leap to his death without a moment's hesitation content to act rightly and dutifully moreover you may confront him with many discouragements you may say your deed will speedily be forgotten or your fellow citizens will offer you scant thanks he will answer all these matters lie outside my task my thoughts are on the deed itself i know that this is honorable therefore whithersoever i am led and summoned by honor i will go this therefore is the only good and not only is every soul that has reached perfection aware of it but also every soul that is by nature noble and of right instincts all other goods are trivial and mutable for this reason we are harassed if we possess them even though by the kindness of fortune they have been heaped together they weigh heavily upon their owners always pressing them down and sometimes crushing them none of those whom you behold clad in purple is happy any more than one of these actors upon whom the play bestows a sceptre and a cloak while on the stage they strut their hour before a crowded house with swelling port and buskined foot but when once they make their exit the footgear is removed and they return to their proper stature none of those who have been raised to a loftier height by riches and honors is really great why then does he seem great to you it is because you are measuring the pedestal along with the man a dwarf is not tall though he stand upon a mountain top a colossal statue will still be tall though you place it in a well this is the error under which we labor this is the reason why we are imposed upon we value no man at what he is but add to the man himself the trappings in which he is clothed but when you wish to inquire into a man's true worth and to know what manner of man he is look at him when he is naked make him lay aside his inherited estate his titles and the other deceptions of fortune let him even strip off his body consider his soul its quality and its stature and thus learn whether its greatness is borrowed or its own if a man can behold with unflinching eyes the flash of a sword if he knows that it makes no difference to him whether his soul takes flight through his mouth or through a wound in his throat you may call him happy you may also call him happy if when he is threatened with bodily torture whether it be the result of accident or of the might of the stronger he can without concern hear talk of chains or of exile or of all the idle fears that stir men's minds and can say o maiden no new sudden form of toil springs up before my eyes within my soul i have forestalled and surveyed everything today it is you who threaten me with these terrors but i have always threatened myself with them and have prepared myself as a man to meet man's destiny if an evil has been pondered beforehand the blow is gentle when it comes 
to the fool however and to him who trusts in fortune each event as it arrives comes in a new and sudden form and a large part of evil to the inexperienced consists in its novelty this is proved by the fact that men endure with greater courage when they have once become accustomed to them the things which they had at first regarded as hardships hence the wise man accustoms himself for coming trouble lightening by long reflection the evils which others lighten by long endurance we sometimes hear the inexperienced say i knew that this was in store for me but the wise man knows that all things are in store for him whatever happens he says i knew it farewell end of letter 76